Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. How was your day today? Because mine sucked. <laughs> it, it really, no, it's not been the best day, yes. Um, first of all, you know how sometimes things just pile up together. First of all, my entire family did something unheard of. They went out of town. Like, what? The dogs and I are beside ourselves. We're like, what happened to the pack? No one ever leaves. What? You know, like our whole pandemic psychology is crumbling. But I wasn't going to be distracted. No, no. I was going to get a lot of work done. I was going to wax the kitchen floor. Oh, yes. And organize all the bathroom shelves and do all the laundry forever. Plus, I have a book proposal that I have to write now. Like, I started yesterday and it's due tomorrow. No, I started months ago, but I haven't been actually writing. And my agent gave me a gentle nudge yesterday, a couple of days ago. Hello. And I was like, oh, yeah. All right. I got to do this. And writing a book proposal is harder than writing an actual book because you have to think through the actual book when it doesn't exist. And it's very hard to think through something that doesn't exist. Then um, I put the wrong stuff on the floor and like slipped and nearly brained myself. The dogs were hysterical, um, not in a fun way, you know, like, oh my God, where is everybody that counts way? So then they nestled up against me and kept knocking me over everywhere I would go. Then, oh, 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 I forgot. Someone gave me this very fancy mouthwash recommendation. I'm not going to say what it is because it turns out that 5% of people, when you use this mouthwash, it turns your whole mouth so bitter for at least 48 hours that even water makes you gag. So I couldn't eat. I couldn't even drink water. I was, <coughs> Nobody's there. I'm slipping on the kitchen floor. The whole bathroom is like a total chaos. I don't even have any way to get ready for this gathering room, which is now pausing due to poor connection. Several planets must be in retrograde. And on days like this, all that excited forward momentum I had just goes boom. And I just want to sit blankly staring at the wall, wishing that I were another life form on another planet. And we, Rowie, Rowan Mangan, Gracious Badger, she had the same thing this week. She's all excited. She's been doing her new newsletter, doing wild adventures. Everybody, so much love to everybody who joined. And like she was gung-ho and going ahead and then hit some technical problems. And that's what happens. You get all excited for something on your best days. You think, this is me. This is the real me. Because it is, you know. It's your soul self in the monkey suit going, oh yeah, I came here to do this and everything's going to work out great. And then it pauses due to poor connection and tries to reconnect and goes over and over again. This is what they call the doldrums, people, when you're just at a full freaking stop all the time, also pressing the gas, like pedal to the metal, trying to go forward brake to the floor also. You got the gas and the brake going full speed both ways. Nothing's happening except your engine's grinding and all the, the car mechanisms are going sprawling pop and basically crumbling around you. So what does one do in the doldrums? I can see my frozen face on Instagram. That just fits, doesn't it? Um, 
there are there's a procedure you can you can make you can do things you have to do okay it says live but it's not doing anything so facebook folks here's what you do with the doldrums ah the first thing is to immediately cease all value added activities i mean everything just stop it like the like we talked a few weeks ago about when the bird got free in my car i just pull over and park you're going to do that when you hit the doldrums you've pushed and pushed and pushed it's not happening nothing's going forward and you feel icky everything's going wrong that's a sign to just take your foot off the gas and glide to a stop put on the parking brake then you have to do the one thing the first thing that humans do in a crisis which is you take care of the kids because the kids are our most precious thing in your case, you might not have actual physical children around. If you have actual physical children, they may be making things worse. When I say take care of the kids, I mean the kids inside of you. Because for each of us, for every time a little bit of us got stuck in the world and got, you know, got its uh, like a micro trauma or even a macro trauma, anything that makes us have a rough time getting through the day is usually a it stems from a part of ourselves that is a childhood wound or a, a, an emotional wound that came in at some point when we weren't capable of handling it. Some of those will be in your adult years. It never stops happening, but most of them are in childhood. So the first thing you do with the doldrums after stopping all value-added activity, I mean all, is to do exactly what you do for a stressed out child. You wrap yourself in something soft. You get yourself like something really, really soothing to like a cup of tea. If you want to eat something soothing, that's great. If that's not the, your thing or you don't want to overuse food, use a cup of broth or a cup of tea or something. In other words, you self-regulate. And this term, I read it first in Oprah's book, what happened to you, which is about how to heal trauma. Any trauma that you undergo puts your system out of homeostasis emotionally. So that's where the gas and the brake are both being pressed at the same time. Your, your system's not in equilibrium. And in order to get it to back to equilibrium, you have to use whatever causes your physiology in your body to come back into homeostasis or to self-regulate. Now, if you're like me, you will know what your favorite things are to self-regulate. I have a very nice game on my phone right now that does little haptics. It makes little poom, poom, poom feelings when I play it. In my hand, it goes poom, poom, poom. This is very, very regulating for me. <laughs> um, wrapping up in something very soft is highly regulating to me. And then if you want to go online or, or even watch TV or something to do something that helps you like calm down. So when Ro hit the doldrums and she was trying to be productive, productive, I said, look, this cannot be. We must do something we rarely do and watch a TV show during the daytime. You should, have to, you should watch this show. It's, it's from Britain. It's called Would I Lie to You? And it is fabulous. It's a bunch of people lying to each other in a very humorous way. And it's incredibly self-regulating because it has no value added features except to take care of the kids. 
So you park the kid, you you rock the kids, you put the kids in soft warm clothing, you tell the kids they are good, you let the kids have their video game or their TV thing for a while. And what this does is that where you are pushing the gas and trying to go forward and not succeeding, when you take care of the kids, there's a kind of opening. There's a spaciousness that opens up where there's no more where you're trying to shove force the kids to do things that they're too tired or too discombobulated to do. So stop all value-added activity, take care of the kids, and then, yeah, spill water on your face on a live video. It's great. Plus, it tastes disgusting on account of the mouthwash. <laughs> now, the third step is, and this is really important, make something small. Now, this may sound odd if somebody's like feeling completely discomfited, um, but it has brain science behind it. Once you're in homeostasis and you're not frantic, you're able to access creativity. If you access creativity, you're moving from the left side of your brain, where all the anxiety and the control measures are, live, and over to the right side, where everything is about curiosity, exploration, and connection to the universe. It's a much calmer, happier place. And creativity happens on the right side. So by making something small, you shift your brain activity. You're not just balanced now, you're actually in the positive zone. So Ro, what Ro did uh, was she made, so she cooked some dinner. She likes to cook, I know it's crazy. I, I don't know what is wrong with her, but she loves to cook. So she cooked something delicious and it was just a small thing and it had nothing to do with her wild adventures or her newsletter or anything. It was just completely unrelated. And she just cooked one thing, you know, she didn't push herself too hard. Today for me, what did I do? I sat down and I drew a little sketch for a painting, maybe someday. Oh yeah, I was gonna do a whole painting while they were gone too, even though it's a canvas the size of Montana and I'm planning to paint it with a brush that's like three hairs thick. Yeah, I don't make good decisions when I'm alone. It's the bottom line. That's why I'm glad y'all are here. So good to have you. And making a gathering room is helping me not feel so doldrumy. So how do you know when you're starting to get out of the doldrums? First of all, there's a physical relaxation and that sense of opening physically. Then as you take care of the kids, there's a sense of opening psychologically. There's space and there's peace. And then when you start to make something, you wait and for a very, very significant sign that you're back online. And that sign is curiosity. So I talk all the time about the, the um, compassionate witness part of the brain that activates when you meditate. Um, more and more as I read the work of meditation masters, I notice the word curiosity. That when we're in our right minds, when we're in the compassionate witness, watching the rest of this crazy life where everything sometimes goes wrong at the same time, um, when we're in there, we get curious about what's going on. And we start to see the world the way a little kid sees it when nobody's pushing them to do anything. So as you take care of the kids, that, that childlike intensity about figuring out the world comes back online and that that curiosity and the creativity it engenders they go hand in hand that's the bliss of being human that's the bliss of having a human body mind
And um, I, I, so I thought, I'm going I'm to I'm do the gathering room on this, and then I will feel better. And you know what? I do. <laughs> so I am now going to do some questions here. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Um, and I do believe that the message machine is working. Um, Ro is not in this city and yet she is fetching some questions for me to answer. And um, I can't see them yet. Well, that fits. Um, so, Ro, if you're out there, I am looking at my control panel. I am just, oh, here we go. Something came in, but it didn't come in where it was supposed to. Okay, here it is. Oh, I have a question. What are the differences between doldrums and depression? Oh, what a great question. Oh. A doldrum is a little depression. Um, I, I noticed the feeling when Ro hit it the other day. She was acting, trying to act cheerful and everything, but I could feel in her energy for the first time in, I don't know, years, um, not just an upset energy, but a depressed energy. And that is, you know it if you've been there, it's complete deflation. You're like a limp balloon just lying on the ground and there's nothing you can do and you can't see any hope and you can't remember having any energy and you know what I was I was once depressed for about 20 years and when I got out of it I got out of it by doing this same process but on a really huge basis I was I just finished my freshman year of college and I'd been depressed since I was six I guess it wasn't 20 years it was more like 11 but it felt like 20 because I was small anyway um I took a year off school and I then I went into therapy I took care of the kids my therapist poked around and found out where the kids were suffering and helped me talk them back into um some sort of com connection with his compassion my first therapist and then I started to find my own compassion and it was I slowly, slowly started to be able to make small things. And I remember when I went into therapy, I, instead of being a voracious reader and writer, I couldn't even read a haiku. I was just, I couldn't get to the end of it. And then it, when it started to come back, when the drawing and the reading and the writing, the things that I do for fun started to come back, my depression ended. And I thought, I'm never going back there for any length of time. I'm going to get out as fast as I can because now I know how. You pull over, you stop trying to add value, you take care of the kids, and you make something small. So yeah, a depression is a big old doldrum, same process. So Holly says, what if you feel guilty about taking the time to take care of the kids? Aha, 
That's because there's a kid inside you who was taught to feel guilty about taking care of herself or himself. So what you do to be in the compassionate witness, you have to be curious about that that kid. So anything negative that comes in, and we, I talked about this last week when I said out kind your mind. Your mind comes in and says, you don't have time to like spend anything taking care of the kids. You say, okay, I hear you. I hear you in there. You who thinks I don't have time. And I understand you're trying to take care of me. And that's not what we're going to do today. Because you're just another little kid who's frantic that if I take time, something bad will happen to me. But look around us. I'm trying my hardest and nothing is going right. Let's try it my way. Let's stop activity, take care of us. And then when we feel better and we're feeling curious, we'll make something. It'll be great. So you have to outkind the critics in your mind. Okay, so Amy says, I oh, I encourage you all to go to the Isolation Journal's 100-Day Creativity Process. Yes, I have heard about this. It sounds wonderful. Um, okay. Um, Nancy says, what are your top three daily wellness habits? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not doing them today. This is a doldrums day. No, honestly, sitting still in the morning and checking in with myself. It used to be meditation. Lately, I've been doing active self-kindness, and it's working really, really well. I, I just sit there and look for any of the kids that are, are in trouble, and I just say kind things to them. I don't try to change anything. I don't try to do anything. I'll just say something like, sounds like you're having a really rough time. That's too bad. Well, you'll be okay soon, or lots of people feel that way, or Remember, we felt this way once before and things turned out okay. Or sometimes it just says, oh, monkey. So that's the first thing is I get still and I try some kind of meditation or kindness talk. The second thing is that I stop throughout the day to get still. It's all about stillness for me because we're all like hyperactive. So I find a place that's by myself to get still. And then the third thing I would say is to do give myself small rewards throughout the day because I give myself plenty of pressure. So rewards, we talked about this last week too. It's like training an animal. Give yourself lots and lots of small, delightful rewards that are fun for the animal. Okay, so um, um, let's see. Norman says, if we schedule downtime for the doldrums instead of just going and going, could we avoid... Oh. No, it's not Norman. It's Pam. <laughs> Hi, Pam. If we scheduled downtime for the doldrums instead of just going and going, could we avoid involuntary doldrums? Maybe, but I do think that there are days when it just piles up on you. There are times when you just, it, it, it's going to hit you. Like one of the things that has happened to me and it may happen to you is if you get trolled online. I don't know, people without high profiles maybe don't get trolled as directly as people who have sort of a presence of any kind. Um, but if you're know, on your Facebook page or something, you get trolled, that energy, wham, that can just, it can stop all your enthusiasm by wounding those inner children in ways that may just cause a mini depression. So we can't always predict by taking good care of ourselves, yes, we definitely forestall the doldrums a lot, but it's still going to happen. You're still going to have a day when Instagram continuously fades out because of poor connectivity, and you have to have a you have to have some tools in your pocket for that. Nate says, "I don't know how to find what is restorative." I'm familiar with this as well, and 
the the mistake we make in our culture is thinking that it has to be something active and it has to make us lively. And in other cultures, especially Eastern cultures, but all the nature-based cultures, restoration is seen primarily as an inward turning. So it's like the winter of your life, you, the winter season of whatever you're going through. You, you sort of cover yourself with snow and let the, plant, the seeds germinate inside in warmth and stillness. And you can get warm and still for quite a long time. You know, animals, when they're hurt, they immediately go lie down, make themselves as comfortable as possible, and get very relaxed because this gives them the biggest chance of healing. And an animal will lie there for a couple of days. Like if you see a predator, a fox here or a leopard in Africa, if they get wounded, they know if they push it. They don't know. They instinctively know that if they push it, they get really wounded and they can't survive because they can't hunt. So they'll go to ground for days on end. And as they start to feel better, they reemerge. And that willingness to go to ground is what we lack in our culture. And other people criticize it. And people crit- we criticize it in ourselves. But we're still creatures. We're still animals. And our nature is that we need to go to ground when we're broken. So that is, if you can't think of anything interesting or anything to fill the well, just stillness. Wrap yourself up in warmth. Take care of the kids. Um, Kay says, what are examples of value-added activities? House cleaning, writing books, uh, doing your correspondence, uh, like all the things I was trying to do today. Getting things clean, getting things organized, getting things built. Just, no, no. Getting money. Money is the big one in our culture. Money! No. Mm Mm-mm. Eventually, if you take enough time to rest and play, you will start producing value in the world that is so obvious that people will pay you for it. But you don't get there unless you're willing to take the dare and risk playing and resting. And um, yeah, so no money earning until the kids are taken care of. Chris says, what do you recommend for someone in the doldrums that has a hard time slowing down or stopping? Oh, the doldrums will do it if you just let them go long enough. Um, Also, part of the problem is not knowing what I want to do. I'm definitely at the beginning of the way of integrity, integrity, admitting that I am much more lost than I realized. Yeah, no wonder you have a hard time stopping. You've got an inner child that says, go, 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 and you won't notice the things that will come up if you're still. So that's the, in the way of integrity, the first part of it is just getting quiet and saying, all right, um, uh, there's a reason I never slow down. And the reason is that slowing down is actually scarier than going till I drop in my tracks because there's something waiting to be grieved. There's something waiting to be faced. And I suggest you do it in very, very small bits and put most of your emphasis on comfort and filling the well of your heart, imagination, and creativity with things like good books, movies, TV, uh, friends, dogs, whatever. Um, And gradually, gradually, the wounds will start to show themselves. And then you can either get a coach, or if it's worse than that, and get a therapist, or you can get a book and work through it by yourself, which was my favorite method all the time. But I've also had coaches and therapists that helped a lot. And there are times when it's bad enough, you need community. So see what happens when you slow down. And um, once you've started to heal the wounds, 
then what you're fascinated by, what you're curious about starts to emerge by itself. So somebody comes to me as a client and they say, I don't have any interest at all. I know they're carrying a, an active wound. And in one of my books, I compared it to somebody coming in with an arrow sticking out of their chest, like they've been shot through the heart with an arrow, but they're not dead. And I say to them, so what are you passionate about in your, your life? And they say, I've got an arrow sticking out of my chest. I would like to get that out. And I would, if I were not a good coach, I would say, yeah, yeah, okay, so arrow stipulated, you can go to the hospital after this. But if you didn't have an arrow sticking out of your chest, what would you be excited about? doesn't work that way. You get the arrow out first. When the, when the wounds heal, when the inner kids start to heal, they become curious. You start to make something, the kid self comes up and is a little curious. I've learned something from Ro uh, raising our, our little 18-month-old Lila that I didn't know with my older kids. And that is, it's so simple. You don't have to, I would always, if Lila gets bored, I would go and play with her and actively entertain her. And Ro said, no, no, that's, that's not the best thing for her imagination to develop. So she did a different thing. She showed me. She would go and start playing with one of Lila's toys. And Lila's like, their time. Lila is very dramatic. And for example, if she has to have her face wiped, she doesn't just go, <laughs> she's like, she literally goes, oh no. Like someone has just ripped out her heart. And she, so she's like, oh, oh. And Rose starts playing with a toy and Lila's like, oh, what's that? Let me see. And the little kid comes out of the sad state and immediately becomes curious because there's something being made. There's something being played with. And we're meant to rest until we feel like playing, then play until we feel like resting, and then repeat. And that is what our lives should be like. So you can, once you get yourself taken care of, you can start to look at things that make you curious and excited, and you're going to find your passions hiding under there. Katrina says, I've been exhausted for a long time. When will I know when I'm done resting? The curiosity, the fascination with life, effort or attention without effort. You start to get curious about the world when you're sufficiently rested and healed. If you're not curious about anything, if you have no passions or interests, you haven't rested enough. You haven't, you're still trying to produce when you've got to say no. Cease value-added activities. Take care of the kids. And when they're safe, make something. Dr. Donna says, how can you identify when the kid, what the kids need, especially when you've hidden those kids away so deeply? Well, <clears throat> that's a very interesting thing. In uh, family internal family systems therapy, they talk about the different parts of the psyche that get chunked off uh, during any kind of disturbing event in our lives. And the kids that are hidden, say you have, say you're deeply shamed by a parent and it's so bad that your inner kid just recoils and it'll get covered up by, you'll be frantically doing so you don't have to face it. But then something will happen, like you'll get trolled on the internet, and suddenly you're like having a mini depression, right? And you think, why am I responding so strongly to some person I've never known being a jerk on the internet? This in IFS, they call it a trailhead. It's like a sign that says there's an interesting path here. You might want to walk down this. And what you do is you stop, you get calm, you take, and you, you say to that the part of you that's upset by that event, 
are you willing to talk to me about why you're so upset? And it's quite likely that they'll say, no, no, no. And you'll say, I see that someone in there is protecting this information. Would you mind stepping aside for a minute and letting the the people behind you talk? Because there's whole layers of wounded kids hiding behind protective um, mechanisms. So you can take a trailhead and just say, what has upset me lately? And just kind of ding, 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 very, very gently start going down the trail and seeing. And what it will do is it'll lead you into your past and to the place where the trauma was either afflicted or re-inflicted, inflicted or re-inflicted. And you can be, it's the kindness and the care of the kids that heals that. That's all that's needed. Accepting what happened in the presence of a compassionate witness and then allowing enough time to heal. That's, it's really pretty simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. A um, couple more. Uh, City Lotus says, how can I take care of the inner kid after I've regulated but still need to do the thing in, that had me there in the first place? Usually it's writing. Fill the well by watching someone else do what you need to do. So it's just like playing with Lila. When I need to write, I go to a writer like I would reread part of Glennon Doyle's last book, which I think is terrific. And it makes me excited about writing because she's so good and I can sort of draft on her energy, right? Um, there are a number of, ed- of writers that do that for me. Whatever I'm supposed to write, that's what I read. If I want to get excited about painting, I watch a video of somebody painting on live. If I want to get excited about organizing my bathroom, I go watch organization shows on TV. They're one of my favorite things. So you just, you, uh, you get the kids curious by showing them someone else playing in that same way. Okay, last question from Cheryl. How do you recover from being wounded, from being trolled and cyber bullied? Same way you get, you recover from being bullied in any other way. I was talking to someone the other day who got trolled and it hurt a lot and they tried to push it away, push it away. I'm not going to acknowledge that it had any effect. It was nothing. It was nothing. And I said, yeah, but you're talking to me about it and you haven't been able to do anything since then. You've been in the doldrums. And they said, yeah, well, I don't want to give them any of my time. I don't want to give some stranger a whole day of my productivity just because they decided to be mean. And I said, well, you know what? They did get a whole day of your productivity. As much as if they jumped out from behind a bush and hit you with a bat. It's not fair that someone can just take a swing and with almost no effort really hurt you. But don't throw bad time after good by saying, I'm not going to care for the wounds. It is a wound. It's not fair that they get to get away with it. But the good part is every time you internalize a wound, every time you get to the doldrums but you take care of the kids, you stop what the culture tells you to do, you stop what your own inner critic tells you to do, you take care of the kids and wait for that curiosity to come back, the things that you make will be better because of the wounding. Bones heal stronger in the broken places. So if you take the time to do this, what happens is that your aliveness comes back and even the pain you've suffered, because you've taken the time to heal it compassionately, becomes part of your creativity. And the greatest creative power comes into the world through people who have been most broken and then followed this process, stopped, healed, found their curiosity, and then made something. So I hope if you're in the doldrums, this is helping you. And you have all been so wonderful to be here with me 
even despite our poor connection problems on Instagram. And uh, that's just symbolic of the doldrums. We just go on. We take care of the kids. We move forward. So thank you for being here. Much love to everybody. Hope you're not in the doldrums. And if you are, you know what to do. I will see you next week. Uh, no, ne yes, next week I will be here on The Gathering Room. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.